My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is a load of malarkey, improv and more with Neil Malarkey. From co-founding the world-famous improvisation group, the Comedy Store Players with Mike Myers, through to appearing on the likes of Have I Got News For You, Whose Line Is It Anyways, Austin Powers Movies, Saturday Live and QI, Neil Malarkey has worked with some of the most talented names in comedy, film and television. Having been elected president of the influential Cambridge Footlights at the beginning of his career, Neil has gone on to share the stage with the likes of Eddie Izzard, Tony Hawks, Don French, Nick Hannock and Eric Sykes, and has been at the forefront of theatre improvisation for over a quarter of a century. Now he is forging a reputation for using this unparalleled expertise on the stage to inspire people and businesses to embrace their creativity and enhance their communication skills. Neil Malarkey, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you, William. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you myself. You were very generous that on my birthday I received your wonderful book, The Seven Steps to Improve Your People's Skills, I must say to the listeners, is so concise, it is jam-packed, and it's very clear that you are well-read. So we're going to talk a little bit about this, if we can, later on. And our topic today, then, is uh, improv and more. A lot of malarkey with you, Neil uh, Malarkey. And speaking of Neil's, my last time in a group of with strangers was actually in March 2020 when I was doing my very first improv class that got uh, interrupted by the pandemic. So I am, this piqued my interest in improv. So I'd like to hear from you in terms of, well, what is improv and how can this benefit teams and leaders? Thank you. Well, you mentioned Neil Curran. So he's part of the Applied Improv Network, a global group of people using improv skills from theatre in business organizations, in mental health, in the public sector, in the private sector. I use it to help people feel stronger about their communication skills, uh, leadership, communication, collaboration. So the whole thing actually started not with comedians. If people have ever seen improv, and I don't always assume people have, by the way, uh, people don't always know what it is. Whose Line Is It Anyway was big on the TV a few years ago. But people don't always know what I'm talking about. It's where the audience gives suggestions and the actors act it out there and then. And it sounds weird, doesn't it? And I must say, I thought, I thought it was weird when I heard about it. 
I'd never seen an improv show before I was in one. We just jumped in, Mike Myers and Kid Hollaback at the Comedy Store, the Comedy Store players. We just did Sundays and they were helping us along the way. They were very experienced improvisers. But actually, improv started with a social worker in Chicago in the 1920s. She was helping children in a city, Chicago, deprived children. Maybe they weren't native speakers. And she gave them these exercises to give them confidence to speak up. And it was her son who said, oh, wow, this could work as a form of theatre in its own right. By 1959, he'd created what became known as Second City Theatre Company. And I'd heard of Second City because of a movie called The Blues Brothers. And I investigated then people had come from Saturday Night Live into movies and a lot of directors, writers, actors, performers. And then Saturday Night Live, a lot of people had come from Chicago, at Second City, there's Toronto Second City. And Mike Myers, I met... Uh, when he landed in England in 1985, before you were born, perhaps. And the thing he told me was Second City. I'd heard it. I did it sketches, but actually, no, they did improv. And he started teaching me this stuff. And improv is about listening, working with what's real, working with what's present. And it can't but be funny, generally. There is a lot of work done with uh, so-called non-funny or serious improv, but generally it's about telling stories. And so um, I've been teaching improv now to people in organizations for 20 years. And the fact of the matter is it opens people's minds and hearts and bodies. Wow, it's okay not to know. Wow, it's okay to listen. I can have a plan, yet can my plan be flexible? That's really what it is. And at a different level, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to laugh with people as well. Uh, so I teach it both as an interpersonal skill. So some of I mentioned in my book about how to get on people, with people better and also a kind of a more philosophical thing, which is we'll never know what's going to happen. How do we live with uncertainty? How do we cope with the fact that things will change? I don't know. Um, even this week in the United Kingdom, we're having to deal with gas prices going up. What's going to happen? What are we going to do? And if, if your mindset is, oh, no, things have changed, it's a disaster, I'm going to cry, that's not going to help. If your mindset is, we have a reality here, how do we use that? That's a very long answer to your first question, isn't it? It answers my question perfectly, I must say. And listen to you speak, it reminds me of the book, is you're speaking with great clarity and very skillfully, it's quite lean, there's no padding, you know, much like the book. And one of the, the things that you just said there in terms of, I, I suppose, the current reality people find themselves in then, and I saw this on your website as well when I was doing my research, is you talk about the new nimble. And for me, is, is, is that where improv can sometimes be seen as, as winging it? Or how, what's, I, I suppose, the correct way to look at improv? Well, you, you've, uh, I don't know if you've done your research, but my most viewed post on LinkedIn has got 15,000 views where I said winging it versus improv. Because actually, mm -hmm. if you look into the history of the words winging it, it's from the theater. And what actually it means is somebody is learning their lines in the wings. Somebody failed to learn their lines, keeps going back to the wings. What, what's, the, what's the next line? So actually there was a script which they failed to learn. And all they're thinking is, I've got to remember what I've got to say. Improv is almost the opposite. There is no script. 
we have to be totally in the moment and we can't help but have our own internal scripts. What, what happened to us today, our memories of this, when a, a scene comes up by the beach, anything that may be in the back of our mind, but we have to be really present to listen to what's going on. So I often say to people, improv is a mindset. I, off, I use the word improv rather than improvise. Because when you ask people, do you ever improvise? And they, they go, <laughs> as if they've made a mistake, that they haven't learned their lines, they haven't planned properly. And for me, it's a positive thing, is you're actually taking note of what is in front of you. So Eisenhower, military man, president, he said, planning is essential. The plan dies as soon as you hit the enemy. The planning is essential. So you've always got to be thinking a little bit about what might happen, but also taking note of what is happening. And I really like that word then you use, nimble. It's your nimble to the situation that you're in. And reading your book then, really what I learned from that is it's not winging it. It's really about being responsive and being present in the moment. And I think that's really helpful. That's absolutely it. It sounds a bit touchy-feely, I know. And so I always tell people, look, this isn't all about hugging and saying I love you and of course improv our motto almost is yes and yes I hear what you say and I build on that now of course there's a multiple ways of yes anding somebody you might even say yes and if you do that that could be problematic <laughs> so uh, we also talk about the idea of a block when you say no on the other hand uh, what you're saying is being responsive in terms of looking for the improv mindset which says this has changed this is new this is the information, how can I use it? And that's what the nimble thing is about. So the new nimble I thought was quite good because it sounds like the new normal, but the new nimble is how can we use this world where we've had to adapt quickly and possibly not terribly well to remote working, virtual working, hybrid. And a lot of my clients are saying, yeah, we managed to turn our laptops on and get to Zoom or Teams within a few days and we're still doing that. We're still in the emergency mode. So you talked about my bookcase. So I specifically thought about, I've got to make my office into a TV studio. I've got to create as much interest in what I'm doing on this small screen as people who are used to watching TV, BBC, Netflix, whatever. So I'm standing up. So the new Nimble says, I'm thinking is how do we use improv, which is always what's reality, what's in front of us, how can we use it? Rather than saying, oh no, if only we could go back. So the the, the offers, and we, in improv we talk about the offer, what's the offer here? What's actually happening? How can we use that thing, that word, that idea, that concept, that change in behavior? So actually the offers in hybrid virtual remote working are many. People will talk about the blocks, which are, I can't get body language. I, I want to see where you are. I want, to, I want to really kind of be close to you, collaborate. But actually, I've read some research is that we can collaborate better sometimes remotely. Uh, but things like we can, I, I've done many workshops with people all over the world. It was such a thrill to me to be doing a session for uh, the International Coaches Federation. I had people from Rwanda, Costa Rica, Singapore, Albania, the, many more countries that I was able to visit in real life. So that's the offer. Those are the positives for me. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking, how can we be responsive? How can we acknowledge that there are good things? So uh, all always start my workshops with what's good about lockdown, 
well, actually, I get to see my children. I get to see my cat. I get to do the washing. I don't have to wear socks. How can we bring what's been useful to the next part of human development? I miss people. I know I do. We've, the comedy store has opened since July, and it's been wonderful to be in the room with performers, with the audience. Uh, however, how can we somehow use the best of face-to-face -face and the best of virtual? That's what I'm focusing on in terms of improv mindset is, okay, this is it. Let's work with what's in front of us. And that brings us to the seven steps in your book then, which uh, is wonderfully, even on the back cover there, is learn, look, listen, link, let, lighten, and leave. And for me, I was going to do something clever in terms of uh, uh, wordsmithery around that, but I decided not to. I decided I might be trying a little bit too hard. <laughs> I want to know more. You see, obviously, my improv antennae are saying, William, come on, go for it. Let's, let's yeah. give us what you have and we could co-create something or not. Maybe much better than you think. Well, I'm learning from you at the moment. I'm looking at your bookcase. I'm listening and I'm trying to link everything that you're saying to let our listeners uh, lighten that space and create that conversation around that so they can leave this podcast then uh, with something really beneficial that will enhance their <laughs> lives. Beautifully done. There you go. Brilliant. Uh, so every chapter begins with L. So that was... The improv mindset says, let's create something like a, a structure, a frame or a constriction, and that becomes an enabler, which is kind of the opposite. So improv, we're always trying to reduce the chaos. So we want to know if you're a doctor, what kind of doctor are you? We, is it Tuesday? Yes, it's Tuesday. Well, why have we picked Tuesday? Tuesday, because I'm angry with you. Or, or Monday night, I met you. Anything like that. We're actually trying to reduce the number of variables. So it, this was the thing that I actually did a session on personal impacts and rapport for the London Business Forum. So listen is essential to improv. Rule one of improv, listen, what's your partner saying? What's your colleague saying? What's the audience saying? And from a very early age, as I say in the book, I was fascinated by eye contact. I looked at grown-ups who didn't look at me and thought, you're not making the impact you should. I look at people who are in a conversation with several others and they only look at one, the person they know best. And I decided I was always trying to spread it around. And I dare say as well, when I'm in a conversation with a female, sometimes people only look at the male. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me, even in this day and age. Um, and so that kind of thing is, it's eye contact is a shorthand for attention. If you're speaking, I want to look at you. And if I'm speaking, I want to look at you as well and spread it around. Anyway, so that became look. And then uh, link is kind of yes and. I'm linking to what you're saying. I'm yes to what you're saying. And I can build on that. I can use something. Uh, let is a trickier one because sometimes it's good to let other people say their thing. Let, let them get off with something that isn't quite right, but trying to correct people all the time isn't great. Let yourself off the hook if you make a mistake. Sometimes that's fine. Let other people speak. Let there be a pause. A pause is a great thing in any conversation because the other person might have a chance to say something and you might also give them room to say something they weren't sure about. 
and you've given yourself time to think, perhaps if you're about to speak, lighten, lighten things up. Humor is so important. Not making jokes about, hey, we've lost a lot of money or it's a funeral. Although uh, the wake is always the most beautiful thing. I always wish the person who's died could be there because, or we could organize the wake before they die. So humor is everywhere. And it's a great way of creating rapport. It's also a creative way of looking differently at an issue. Um, leadership requires humor because it shows perspective. Look at it differently and it'll make you laugh. Sometimes an interesting idea, you go, <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy, it might work. Or why didn't we think of that? And then you know it's a pretty good idea. And the last one is leave, which is you can really spoil a show, a story, a meeting, a moment with the way you end. We know that we've seen movies that have a bad ending. Um, and back to the first one, learn is in improv. We would say, what does my character learn in the scene? How is she changed by the scene? And I thought, actually, I'm, I want to still learn all the time. Mistakes I can learn from learning about somebody, learning from somebody. Everything is a learning possibility. And that seemed to me the basis of the book in a way. So I started with that one. How do I go about learning? Because even personal, interpersonal skills where people say, oh, I can never do that. And she's good at it and he's not good. Actually, you can learn it like any skill. Just apply a little bit of rational thinking and then try it out. Try different eye contact. I've certainly seen people when I just say, don't look at me, look at the other three as well. And they go, okay. And then beautifully, it's not just their eye contact that's affected, their voice, their body lifts as well. There we are. That's a great way to leave people, isn't it? With that impact of doing something different. And we talk about improv and building on what people are, are saying. From my understanding and reading of improv, it's a little bit of thinking on your feet at the same time it's using different dynamic frameworks or structures to help you navigate the territory that you're in am i correct in my understanding <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm putting it out there well william that's beautifully put it's quite highfalutin but i reckon we can explain it by saying yeah you've got to be in the moment you've got to listen but you can't help but have something in the back of your mind so, for example, the little frameworks you talk about tend to be status, for example. Um, in any scene, somebody's higher than another. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I have done quite a lot of work in businesses. One famous management consultancy, this guy said, really, status in every conversation? I'm saying yes. And then we played out some scenes. And of course it is. It's always in play. And the interesting thing for me, for example, is a high status person who isn't regarded as such, perhaps. So in Shakespeare, you have the servant who knows more than the master. You have mm. Jeeves and Wooster. Um, and in organizations, the people we look to aren't necessarily the boss. <laughs> uh, we love the receptionist. We know, and the number of organizations I've met who couldn't survive without a brilliant executive assistant. Um, he or she doesn't want the limelight, but they know that the person who is in the limelight completely uh, relies on them anyway so status uh, physical so for example when you're doing your workshop hopefully you will pick it up William you're going to pick it up with Neil Curran oh yeah lower the tone is actually going back into business straight away now I have to 
put it off for a few months. But Neil Kern is back in business. Oh, well, thankfully. that's great. But you, you can do it on Zoom. But so physical, yeah. it's just great to create a door or, or you're chopping carrots or something like that, because then the scene has more reality. So though, that's another thing. Um, emotion as well. We would do a game based on emotion, but sometimes it's just interesting to choose an emotion. I love this person. Well, I don't say that I love her. Um, I'm a little frustrated, but I, uh, I, I'm, I don't know why I'm frustrated. But So you kind of pick up little frameworks, as you say. Uh, there are also broader frameworks, which is story. Generally, the audience likes story. They tend to want not just gags. They'll want to know that the dragon will be defeated that the treasure will be found, that the prince and the princess will be together. Those kind of story arcs are in the back of our mind. Uh, there are also smaller little structures. In Commedia dell'arte, they had little comedy bits. They call them bits in the States. If you watch Seinfeld, you say, I've got a bit about a, a, an elephant or something. Um, and it's called a lazzo. A lazzo, which is in Commedia dell'arte, which was improvised, but had stock characters. So you had the foolish master, the pompous uh, soldier. You had the lovers. You had the, the ugly, cheeky servant that the audience loved. Uh, and then you had lazzo, which was a funny bit. And a lot of musical things like, for example, somebody coming across the stage holding a ladder. And I'm doing it now for the viewers at home on audio <laughs> is I'm walking across the screen holding a ladder and then it goes to the other side of the stage and then I run round and then at the back of the ladder I'm carrying it as well and just things like that comedy bits and the custard pies uh, mishearing uh, he's behind you uh, so the lazzo lazzi is the plural I think where kind of we know oh there's a bit here where somebody's going to be surprised or somebody's going to be uh, finding that they recognize somebody that is in an unusual place or something like that. Or we have a backstory. Oh, yes, I saw you last week doing this. So there are little tiny things there, yeah. But we don't know how they fit together. And also, if I'm doing it with my friend Janet, she doesn't know what I'm thinking and I don't know what her, her thoughts are. But if I'm really looking at her, so eye contact, and listening to her, both her body and her words, then we can co-create and the joy, and this is where I see it with improv, the joy not is not in, all oh, right, I know where she's going, I can go there. It's kind of, oh, I didn't know where that was going to go, but we went there together. And you surprised me. And I, I was delighted that you gave me a wonderful thing. I suddenly turned out to be the romantic lover, or actually it was me that did the murder. And that kind of thing is... I suppose what you're talking about, the little frameworks, and those frameworks are constantly in flux. So part of this is about presence then as well, is using the content there. And sometimes I associate presence with the energy that you bring out. It doesn't always have to be high energy. It's like what you said earlier on. It's using that pause. If there's something really emotive or strong that I have to say, or even bringing in humanity, changing your tone of voice, all of this, this can all be done using a bit of a segue using your body language. And that's an improvisation technique. Yeah, it, it can even be done on Zoom. You did it there, didn't you? And so interestingly, I 
I like acronyms and, and letters and things. And sometimes I create a structure and fill in later. So all of the chapters in the book begin with L. I have a five letter acronym for my improv. Uh, so very easy. First one was listen, then accept offers, accept what she said. Yes. And and give. So do the and of yes. And and then the last letter was R for reincorporate. We always know, and you've seen this in many films, movies, stories, certainly in improv, where something comes back from before. That little object, that little carrot you are cutting turned out to be the magic one. Or that character you thought had gone turns out to be the one who knows where the gold is hidden. Uh, so we call it reincorporation. Sometimes I say recycle. So I've got L-A-G something, R. So then I put E in to make lager. And here is my beer mat. And for the first few years, I used to put E for energy. What's the energy you're bringing here? And even a still moment can have energy, an energized pause, which is always something I try and encourage when I'm teaching presenting skills. Let the audience hear what you've just said. Give them a moment and then come in with something that may be your real point or whatever. So energy, and it doesn't mean running around going, oh, I'm energetic, which isn't necessarily helpful. But actually, in the end, I went with explore assumptions, which is always we have a bunch of things that I'm thinking about you, William, you're thinking about me. I think about my client. Uh, my leader thinks about me. I think about my direct reports, a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes creative breakthroughs when you say, well, does it have to be that way? Hang on a minute. Do you have to be in hospital to be seen by a doctor? Hang on a minute. Do you have to go to a restaurant to get food? Hang on a minute. Why couldn't your phone be a book? You can read from your phone. You can do download Kindle or whatever. So that's what so I get to lager. So there's my beer mat. Obviously, I can't give a beer mat these days because I'm remote. So I do laser. So I, uh, L-A-S, the S is to sort of step into the other person's reality or send their idea forward, the, the and of yes and, so make it laser. Um, so you talked about energy, which is why I've gone off on one. <laughs> but energy, I'm noticing people are talking about energy now. And it doesn't, it's not just, oh man, chi and aura and stuff. It's really that what we bring to the table will bear fruit. The energy you give to a conversation will mean you get more energy out of it. And in fact, again, I've got a little acronym. I teach a course about bring some vavavoom to your Zoom. How can we make this better? So one of my things is stand up if you're presenting. Standing up for a long time is tough, so give yourself a break every now and again. But my little acronym is OLE. <laughs> uh, organize, listen, and energy. So it's amazing how people say to me, all right, the one thing I learned from our three-hour session called Enrich Your Pitch was when you said, I'm going to be really tired after this, so I have a lie down. And people are saying, well, I didn't have time for a lie down because I've got another meeting. And I'm saying, no, give yourself a break before the session, a break after. Otherwise, you'll be half-hearted in the meeting. Make the meeting half an hour, not an hour. Organize the tech, organize your bookshelves, organize who's going to speak, organize an agenda, even organize which platform. So we're on Zoom now, but sometimes I'm on Teams or GoTo or WebEx, or Chime, BlueJeans. And if you're working with a client, check out what they prefer, because some people don't know much about Zoom, for example, which we're on now. 
organize who's going to speak, organize clear agenda, uh, organize yourself. So get yourself comfy. I'm wearing shorts now, William. I'm, you're surprised to hear that. I'm, I'm sure not surprised. You're... I've been wearing shorts all last week. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> one of my friends said he, he'd been wearing shorts since February 2020. So I was slightly upset that he had to wear trousers to go into the office once, which he's done in the last 18 months. Uh, but so organize the, the content, the tech and stuff. Uh, listen, really listen. Listen to yourself. Have you gone on too long? And I'm guilty of that today. Listen to the chat. I always try and get people to put things in chat. It could be fun. Where are you? Are you in the living room? Are you in uh, Dublin? Are you in Glasgow? Are you in Paris? Um, how are you feeling? What's been good about lockdown? What's that object behind you? Uh, what would you? What have you missed most? Just anything as well as then we get to deeper content, which is fantastic as well, because this is something I learned from the uh, Neuro Leadership Institute. They do quite a, a lot of work on organizations, leadership. And they pointed out that in the chat function, you can ask people and you get 10 answers straight away. Whereas if I say to 10 people, can you give me your answer to this? You have to wait, you know, 10 iterations. So the again, these are the offers of uh, virtual working is you can get quick responses. You can get people who didn't want to talk maybe, but they'll put something in chat. So that's really uh, part of what I'm saying is, oh, we've got all these opportunities breakout rooms i can work with people anywhere in the world and that's sort of the the offer of new nimble but energy is definitely one and i'll finish now on this great insight somebody told me which was we talk about zoom fatigue but what about yeah. netflix intrigue which is that's why i'm trying to animate the screen so i'm using my hands now more than i might in real life even standing up, even just not standing in the middle of the screen is another one I'm trying with, you know, because generally uh, a lot of TV and photography, the, the interesting thing isn't in the middle of the screen. It's just off. And sometimes our brain looks not at the center, but the peripheral bits. Uh, anyway, just stuff like that. So um, organized listen energy and listen to what's not being said. Listen to who hasn't said anything. So all these things make zoom and other platforms actually possible to create the kind of culture we want instead of saying oh let's just wait till we have face to face let's say how do we use this in a positive way we may end up hybrid uh and then we've got to think about the person who's not in the office um but there's lots of things we can do to include people and some, even one firm said to me, actually, there are some of the, the shrinking violets, the quieter people who feel more empowered on Zoom and similar to speak up because they're in their own house, they're wearing their own socks or <laughs> they're, they're kind of in a safe place, which they might not feel so empowered if they were in the boardroom or meeting room. I might make an offer, if that's okay, and you can do a block if you wish, I'm just trying to practice my improv here. From what I'm hearing you say, there are different acronyms there. Really, when you talk about exploring, then I'm really hearing about different layers. So I might suggest, if it's okay, the next time you do your book, you might include eight as layers. Uh, <laughs> there, all right. Um, and, you know, if you, we can negotiate a commission on that uh, later on. When I was hearing you talk, especially about the chat function, those 
people who are sitting in the shorts they're in their kind of safe zone there it's really about bringing the best out of people is how do you make it psychologically safe is is what you're saying so that person sitting in their shorts or that person who normally would speak up in a meeting you know using the chat function and then there's all these bids coming in and then i i really started going back to the book reminding of something i often coach people on is networking uh, and you give some wonderful advice. I like my nephew is is new in uh, the world of his his business and his career. And I was like, I have to give him this book <laughs> because it's these little nuggets. Then, so in terms about networking, then a lot of people kind of go, oh, networking, you know? Yeah. What, what insights can you offer our listeners on that? I I, th- I just think it's fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, I've borrowed lots of ideas from people, but um, in a minute, we might talk about my alter ego, Elvorn Spencer, whose book is called Don't Be Needy, Be Succeeding. And he says, what's the opposite of networking? Not working. So that's kind of, he's, through him, I satirized this thing about fever, feverish networking. I've got to meet 10 people. I've got to give them my business card. And if you completely look at it from the other point of view, a networking event, we all go, oh, no, it sounds ghastly. It sounds inhuman. It sounds artificial. It sounds sleazy. So one tip is, if you are in that moment, then think of yourself as the host. I'm not networking. I'm helping these two to network. Isn't that great? Then it takes all the pressure off you. Um, there's a lady called Susan Kane, like Kane and Abel, C-A-I-N. She wrote a book called Quiet. Great, great book for, for, for those of us who might think of ourselves as introverts. And actually looking at it, I think most of us have many introvert uh, traits. But she says, if you're going to a networking event, just give yourself a break. Just say, I'm going to meet two people and I'll leave after 20 minutes. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be the last one there. You don't have to shove a business card. I'm, I think I'm fortunate in that I'm really interested in people. I want to hear their story. And if it turns into business that's great i've been doing this for well this this teaching improv and leadership and management development stuff for 20 years and i know that meeting somebody is the best way to get work um even if it's not work today even if it's not work with that person even if it's it, they know somebody who knows somebody and the best thing is to ask stuff who they are people love talking about themselves um they love uh, giving advice. And I'm very open to advice. I'd love to hear what people suggest, why they like things, what gives them energy. And that's what I'm looking for when people are talking. Their eyes light up when they talk about skiing or their pony or their child or their book or whatever. And equally, energy goes down when something else happens. And you can um, use that. So I'm always looking for the paralingual. So for your nephew, First of all, nobody likes networking. It sounds ghastly and horrible. Secondly, a young person thinks, what have I got to say? Well, actually, you've got loads to say. You don't have 20 years of experience doing this, that, and the other. But so what? A really interested person will want to know about your stories. And again, ask advice. Say things like, what's your biggest challenge? What's keeping you awake? And listen, loop it back. If they say something, you ask a question based on that. My niece works in, she's a workplace specialist. Good that this is the title 
of your podcast. She's a workplace specialist, so she's got an MA uh, in psychology. So she helps organizations plan their offices. Uh, do we want offices like they used to be? Do you want open plan? Do you want booths? Do you want areas where people commune? Do you want silent rooms where they go and have a call or just do work on their own? So it's really interesting because you can waste a lot of money and create deep division if you don't get just the layout right. Um, so she went on this course and it was simply qua qua, <laughs> qua qua, uh, question, answer, question, answer. So ask a question, an open question, listen to the answer. And then your next question is based on the answer they gave. It's just listen and yes and really. But she said the people in the workshop were just amazed. What a simple and clever trick. It's not a trick, really. It's just listening. Mm. And then, okay, I'm building on what you said. So networking. So all of the things that I can suggest is eye contact, be interested. That's all. People people will talk about themselves, so just let them do it. And actually, it turns out there's all sorts of good feel-good chemicals when I'm talking about myself. So why wouldn't you want to create that within me? Um, and then don't worry too much about shoving a business card. Who has a business card these days? We're trying to save trees. Just trying to remember their name. And if you need, if you're not good at remembering names, well, in my book, I talk about how to do that. Just, just kind of keep saying their name, William, William, and then picture them. And you, I'm, I'm picturing you with your twin. I'm picturing you with your nephew. Uh, I'm picturing you in Neil Curran's workshop. So I've got lots of pictures in my head of you. I've got the William with a double L, Corliss. You know, somehow I'm creating an image of the person even before uh, I meet you. Um, so instead of saying, I've got to kind of knock them off, you know, I've got to like, I'm get claiming scalps or victories by networking. I am opening myself up. And that's hard, I guess. Well, your nephew must be fairly young. Uh, but if you, if you force it a little bit, just kind of get into a group, um, look around to people, be confident, smile, then people will begin to open up to you as well. That allows me to add a little bit how I remember names. So it's very easy for me to remember your name because I associate improv with Neil and Neil Curran. And now I have Neil Malarkey. Right? There you go. And, and, uh, and for me, obviously, um, I remember even more now because your relationship with Mike Myers and Austin Powers and all that. So we might talk about that uh, later on in terms of your uh, acting career. Uh, and for me, remembering names down is actually making links. Who does this person remind me of? in my own life and making those connections. And again, that's what net networking is about, is making connections. But I think it's about two or three connections or maybe one connection rather than going out and firing out 100 business cards and saying, hey, I've made 100 connections. Are they really? Yeah, exactly. Uh, people say on LinkedIn, don't have too many friends. But if you are at a networking event, and frankly, everything is networking, I love talking to uh, you know, the security staff at the comedy store. I miss them hugely in the, in the lockdown. Um, I love talking to the bar staff, just finding out their stories. What have you been up to? Um, chatting to people in the, on the train and, and uh, you don't kind of bumble in, but if there's some shared thing, try and sh somebody drops stuff, you know, here, I pick it up, smile. Um, as you say, one deeper connection is worth a hundred meaningless connections because just giving a business card literally means nothing. It literally means nothing. Um, and so uh, it's it's interesting to follow up the next day. 
uh, I don't know, it's always great to have a conversation. And uh, what's that song we're trying to remember? And then the next day you send them a thing on LinkedIn. Actually, it was Rick Astley or something. Um, you're giving them some help or some advice or, or information. The, you're cementing the relationship. And it's not sleazy. You're not quickly then, well, you know, will you give me money <laughs> or a gig? Because yeah. I get that with LinkedIn. I, someday I don't really... Oh, that's interesting. That interesting business. And then it's kind of, and then the next day you get a long thing. Neil, I was looking at improv your biz and thinking we could, and you haven't. I'm not selling widgets. I'm not employing 5,000 people. So don't approach me like I am. Yeah. Say things like, I saw the comedy store players, or wow, I'd love to do improv. And so you can certainly do it through LinkedIn and, and other things. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, no, LinkedIn, I get a lot of spam. So, so maybe that's not the way to do it, but it depends on, on who you are. But just spreading your circle. And, and as uh, Julia Hobsbawm, who's written about networking, Julia Hobsbawm, uh, often it's not your primary network, it's the secondary. It, it, we all love to help each other. I find when somebody says, you know somebody who, and I know three people who can. And so that's the secondary network. The, it's not people you know just, it's the people they know. Um, and that's how I've got all my work, really. I don't have a marketing budget. I just keep in touch with people and people will say, oh, you did it for this firm. Can you come and do it for my new firm? Or my colleague isn't sure. And I thought maybe you, you'd be the right thing. So even if you're in a regular job, like your nephew might be, it's always good to keep up with people from school and anybody you meet, because at some point they could be just a really helpful person to say, look, I'm just not quite sure about this job, this idea, or you've been to Japan, any thoughts? Just making connections. Funny that you mentioned that. I was doing some work in Japan. The guy who's sit beside the school has been living there for over 20 years. Brendan <laughs> Jennings, if you're listening in, thank you so much for that. I'm glad I kept in touch with you. And well, there you go. And you'll help him as well. It's, and, and of course, this is my thing. People love to help. It really is true. Yeah. And th that's the thing is, is networking then is, it's that give and take, isn't it? Yeah. I'm here to offer something. Like I was um, trying to offer you a book recommendation there by um, The Extended Mind uh, earlier on by Annie Murphy-Paul. And it's these connectors, isn't it, that we have in our life. It's, it's how do we weave that social fabric that we create, I suppose, um, I suppose, a, a helping community around us, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty good and pretty woolly. Uh, actually, McKinsey did a thing and they, uh, called Weak Ties. Weak uh, Ties, yes. as in the people we don't know that well um, are good for us psychologically. The, the person at the bus stop, the, the, uh, the train station, the news agent. Um, and... Uh, it's not too stressful because if I'm having lunch with a friend and we're talking deep and it's quite emotionally demanding, it, it maybe I just want to chat to the waiter because I'm not ready for that. So they call it well, the strength of weak ties. So they can be helpful psychologically and they can help be helpful with work. Somebody you've met once and then five years later, there's some connection. So don't forget those. And I was interested in the lockdown. We didn't have weak ties. I didn't see the people as the security people, the bar staff at the comedy store. I didn't go to the tube stations, nod to the guy behind the counter. I just, uh, I literally just saw my family or the delivery person. And so that my world had closed and I felt very 
sad. So encourage weak ties. And, and I would just say things like say good morning, smile. And that can be the, the school pickup, that can be at the post office, it can be anything. And it's good practice for your nephew as well. If you can smile at the receptionist, then you can smile when you go for the interview. If you can feel confident in holding just a small conversation with somebody that you may never see again, it's good practice. It's great practice. And that would be the main thing. Then networking will feel just easy and pleasurable. Uh, it's I just love meeting people in real life and finding their story. And often people say, oh, I'm, I'm not as glamorous as you and you're in showbiz. And I, well, yeah, showbiz isn't always that glamorous. <laughs> um, and I want to know about you. And then you discover that they've traveled the world or they've ascended this mountain or they've cared for a relative or something just just amazing. I go, I step back and say, my life is really ordinary compared with the extraordinary things you've done. Well, I thank you for that, uh, the extraordinary things that I've done. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm doing a bit of uh, improv <laughs> well, bet, William, here. You see, you can see I'm I'm just edging. I'm getting a bit bored of talking about myself here, uh, yeah. William. Yeah, I, I, I was going to actually talk about the, how the podcast has come about and the use of weak ties. And for me, the, the use of weak ties, the podcast gave me a great excuse to connect with people and say, I would love to talk to that person, right? So I've reached out to people on this podcast where I would read about it in the newspaper or there's a, there's a, uh, Neve Fahey, who's was the captain, maybe still is, of the Liverpool uh, women's football team. And I've been tracking her career. She's, she's 16 years of age, right? She's played for Ireland, she's captained Ireland, captained Liverpool. And I just wanted to talk to that person. And I was like, I think this would be brilliant. You know, so it, it's given me um, that platform to be really, I suppose, find out about people, to be curious about them. And again, in terms of that, for me, is that connection pieces. I don't, like yourself, I don't have a marketing budget. So this is my my marketing budget, the podcast. And I just genuinely like meeting people. So, you know, if we were to meet in an airport, would I actually approach you there? <laughs> Whereas I can use LinkedIn and say, hi, Neil, would you like to connect? And he says, yeah. And I says, I would, I introduced the podcast. And you said, I'd love to know more about what you do and all that. And then you generously came on. So that's the reason why I love the podcast is, and I'm clearly learning then. Number one is I'm reading a book or two a week. And then when I'm on the podcast, you're reinforcing what I'm learning. So for me, this is just a wonderful gift to have this podcast as a brilliant use of, of weak ties. Absolutely. And I was going to say, you don't have a marketing budget, but your budget is time and energy. Mm. You've given energy to this podcast. You've learned how to do it properly. You've got your stream deck thing. Uh, you've made, you sent me a, a, an interesting, helpful pack before I committed to this. So often marketing, think about it as time and energy, not necessarily cash. You can spend a lot of money on nothing. Um, or chasing LinkedIn people with uh, with no particular point other than just grabbing the numbers, whereas you had something I felt specific. Uh, so that's what I would say is, is manage your time and energy. You're giving, you know, we're spending an hour together or so today, and that is possibly how people should think about it. I don't have to get a 
really well-written resume is if I just spend a little time talking with people and both as uh, giving and taking, if you like. If you, if you give help, then you'll get help. Um, I am happy to do podcasts and uh, charity gigs and I always learn something from them. And it's a better use of my time than getting a PR person in, frankly, because it works better for me. It's more authentic to me. And um, it's just more real in a way and more effective for sure. So anyway, that's what I was going to say, really. In terms of your nephew, uh, networking requires a bit of energy and time. And that may be the investments that people are unwilling to give, but it's worth it um, rather than just cash. And I, I dare I say leadership as well. I'm, I'm, this week I'm giving a, a talk about internal communication. And that sounds like, oh, no, we've got to have more meetings, got to send out more emails. No, no, you don't. You just have to spend a bit of time smartly listening, talking. Just sending an email may not be enough, but a quick phone call may make the whole month go better. I, I think that's what makes a big difference, doesn't it, Neil, is how you can add the personal touch in terms of time and energy and thought. And a part of the reason I want to do the, the podcast is I wanted to reach out to people and have conversations. And then I was having conversations with people. I was like, I should have recorded this. This is, this is wonderful. <laughs> and that's what I did. And it's when I was listening to you earlier on, you had mentioned my twin. And I was like, oh, this guy has done his research on me. And the fact that she knew I was a twin, and I don't know if that was an accident or not. For me, it was like, Oh, actually, that's a big part of my personality and uh, my identity is being a twin, you know. So, you know, thank you for that. Well, now, actually, you told me. Oh, did I? Yes, you did. So I was listening because I'm listening for anything like that because mm. this podcast is you interviewing me. But I, I don't I don't always like that balance, that imbalance. Yeah. You, we were talking before about my bookcase and you said your twin had told you to tidy it up. And there was a p very particular way. You just didn't say my sibling my brother my sister you said my twin um and so as you say it's interesting I'm, I'm fascinated by twins and i studied social science a lot of research has gone on to twins why this one's different from that uh that one and you know they've been separated at birth oh look <laughs> you've got i've got your background now is that your real background that's that's my background in my office i'm sitting in my cabin at the moment but this is my background but that looks fantastic. Your bookshelves look fantastic. They look great. I disagree well, with your twin. Oh, thank you for that. I'm going to make this the audiogram now for this. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks great. It, it doesn't look off-putting. It looks interesting. And you've cleverly done, you've got a little smile there, a little Lego man. Um, I'm just going to look for my thing. So one of my heroes is Mark Bowden, uh, who's a body language expert, met him many years ago and now he lives in Canada and his website called truthplane.com truthplane.com and so he's even advising zoom people now how to have good body language on, on zoom mm. and he says just above his camera and there you go have he has a smiley face because it's above his camera to keep his head up and the, he can't help but smile when you see a smiley face so your lego man behind you gives me huge joy so i disagree with your twin yeah so what I'd like to say to that is the reason I did that is a bit like what you said about uh, our listeners didn't hear our previous conversation about your 
bookcase um and you were saying it created intrigue uh but like netflix intrigue i really like that i'm going to remember that and the lego head actually creates that intrigue no i have to say i borrowed this from uh, another guest uh richard wentworth ping um and he has this on his linkedin page but it does create that sense of personality and the reason i think personality is really important or your identity as i say is really important is it gives the people a different insight so for me for example i use visual facilitation lego serious play and for me that's the reason why i mentioned improv and the extended mind by annie murphy ball is we don't learn and we don't connect always in the same way we have to experiment and do different things and this is for me why i'm so interested in talking to you is i think we tend to do the same old same old and a bit like what einstein said is we expect different results whereas if we really want to get the best out of people and uh, your your website um in talking about creating that culture that we want everybody to experience in that workplace experiences i think we have to be open to really figuring out what works best for this team and this organization and i think the one size fits all is very dangerous especially when it comes to workshops so for me improvisation in workshops is i might have a layout or a plan done for the day and sometimes i will abandon all my plans because i find out actually what is the real conversation that needs to be had in the room by a bit like what you're saying in your book is what we can we learn from this situation and are we really listening so i'm a mediator as well neil i'm not sure if you if you know that and for me then it's really about finding out what is the core conversation we need to have and you say this so skillfully uh in your book is it's really about all the seven steps that you're doing is how do you want that person to leave after a conversation so am I the person that's going to be rigid and follow the slides and the structure? <laughs> or do I, am I going to do what adds most value to the group? Well, on the other hand, if you turned out without any plan, that wouldn't be good either. Of course. Uh, so, Which I never do. <laughs> well, exactly. You've got to have a plan and then realize the plan must then change in the face of circumstances. And you talked about leadership, one size fits all. This is... Um, I just found this on Twitter this morning. Peter Fuda, F-U-D-A, F-U-D-A. There is no such thing as an organizational culture. In high-performing organizations, you have pockets of mediocrity. In poor-performing organizations, you have pockets of excellence. Why? Because you have as many cultures as you have leaders. And so I think that's absolutely right. And it's very hard for top-down culture to exist. It, it's kind of what, what's my line manager doing? How is she or he working with us and how are we working with our peers. Um, but yeah, this, I think a lot of people will say, I need a plan. And I say, good, I have a plan. Every time I go on stage, uh, I'm part of the Comedy Store Players. We know we're going to start at 7.30. We finish at 9.30. We know the games we're going to play. We know the intervals is going to be about 8.25. Um, we know who the team is. So there's lots of plan and structure. But within that, we then are able to be spontaneous. And... It isn't just kind of let's just turn up and do anything and hang out and it's a happening, a hippie dude thing, man. Um, it's how much structures you need. And you mentioned uh, 
I'm not sure if it's before we started, but we talk about Ashridge, which where I've done workshops and also myself studied executive coaching. And I love what they do. They talk about the relational idea, relational coaching, relational leadership. It's not so much the structure you use as the relation between the people, um, but they talk when applying improv thoughts to leadership they talk about minimal structure maximum autonomy minimal structure maximum doesn't no structure but kind of just enough for the people to feel like they're supported but they've also got enough autonomy that they can do their own thing or feel ownership of the endeavor rather than the boss says do this okay we'll do it and then we leave at five o'clock just having done the minimum and uh I think that's why so leadership is fascinating to me because it's a constant mixture of planning and reacting. You talked about being responsive, responding versus creating the future. How much, when do we do that? It's, it's tough. You've got to have a budget, I guess. Uh, you've got to have a thought. You've got to have a to-do list. <laughs> you've got to have a th- maybe an idea of where we're going to be in a year's time. But mm. there's a man called Don Sull, Sull, S-U-L-L, as in dull, but with an S, Don Sull, he was organizational strategy professor at London Business School. Now he's gone back to Harvard. Um, and he said to me uh, one time, you know, Neil, I think improv is the answer. I'm just not quite sure of the question. <laughs> and I thought, that's great. Um, I'll just keep asking questions. And um, he said, uh, you know, mission statements, fine. But having too much of a clear strategy means you're stuck a bit. You know, if you've got a three-year plan, who knows what's going to happen? Pandemic has clearly changed everything. But I remember sort of there was a period um, when fax machines were the best thing ever. I was so happy to have a fax machine. So at some point, somebody must have said, let's be the top fax machine manufacturer in the world. So we'll build factories and have a great plan, a supply chain. And then fax machines is just laughable. William, have you ever seen a, a fax machine? Have I seen it? I've used them. I in my previous <laughs> job, people may not know this about me, but I'm a I did electronic engineering in college, and I used to have the um, designs of a printed circuit board faxed to me, so I used to check before they went off to be manufactured. Uh, well, that's a long time ago. Well, there you go. But it was the bee's knees. I had one at home, and somebody would send me a piece of paper, and it was fantastic, like getting a photocopy on this crummy paper. Anyway, that's my example of if you plan too far ahead, you could get in trouble. On the Mm. other hand, you can't just say, oh, I don't know, let's just do what we feel like this week. Um, Now, of course, I'm fascinated to know about your electrical engineering because I meet a lot of people who are in leadership development, thinking about work and, dare I say, using the softer skills and thinking more philosophically and reflectively. And they've come from a a sciencey background. So all of the um, archetypes and stereotypes are not true. People have studied mechanical engineering and et cetera. And now they're looking at how we work as people. They're thinking about philosophically interesting things about quantum mechanics. How how is it that these creatures interact and make an organization? How does culture occur? So what what happened? I'm going to ask you, you you cut this from the podcast. How did you make that transition from electrical engineer and looking at circuit boards to to now this uh, all this stuff you're doing? If I'm completely honest, I was a terrible electronic engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so how about this? How about we, why I got into what I'm doing is because I constantly struggled all the way through my 20s and early 30s. 
right? I mean, a constant struggle in my career, in my personal life. And I got into counseling and therapy, which I trained as briefly. So that's another thing. And really in my career, I focused, I was actually better at strategy and big picture patterns versus detail. Now, it's not that I can't do detail, it takes energy. So a bit like when you refer to Myers-Briggs type indicator in your book, I started, this was like a world open to me. And then I found the word empowerment, which I really didn't know what it meant. And then once I started learning these words, so I did supply chain management at night then as well. So I constantly was in college for, we'll say, 20 years. Right? I had a real <laughs> thirst for learning. And people are going to go, well, how do you know that? And I go, well, uh, you know, I just never gave up. So whether it's either through counseling, you know, uh, the electronics I was talking about, supply chain management, um, short marketing courses, whatever, NLP, you know, I've tons of certificates. And I tend not to tell people about these things because they kind of go, well, that's not true or you couldn't have done that or <laughs> they, it, it, they say that weakens your brand. Just tell them about the Harvard stuff when you did leadership, you know, or Ashwich when you did organization design. So I, I, I can sometimes be selective because... I sometimes find myself, I talk too much about myself and that's where I'm trying to get the balance right now. I am so interested in you. That's why I'm asking so many questions. And I feel like, oh, with this time, how do I ask him everything I want to ask him? <laughs> you know, um, and, and when I'm reading people's books, then I get really fascinated, kind of go, well, what led them to this learning? And for me, what leads me to my learning is a struggle. So the reason I get into organization design is it's not just conflict. It's not just strategy. It's actually the way the system is set up isn't right. So the reason I got into organization design is because of my mediation work, I was going to go, well, actually, we don't have conflict uh, systems. Uh, people don't know how to have the conversation. So we set up differently then. There wouldn't be that constant tension between departments or, I suppose, how the organization is set up because sometimes it is set up to have these uh, tensions and it's the law of unintended consequences. So for me, then, is, is think about oh, because of a bit like pandemic we find ourselves in, actually, what's that doing is that's forcing conversation to happen. Say, actually, well, this never worked anyways. And now people are leaving. Are they leaving because of the pandemic or are they leaving because, I suppose, the, the, the fissures, the cracks uh, were already there and they just got larger because the pressure of the pandemic put on. So for me, it's it's that thirst for curiosity. But if I haven't felt that struggle, you know, uh, how can you really talk about it to people or really be empathetic of their position? So I suppose that's a little bit of what me is a bit like you were saying earlier on before we started recording that you're, you were intuitively knew executive coaching was the right thing for you to do. Uh, you, you knew there was certain things that you could benefit you because people are looking for I suppose that assistance or help and you wanted to have uh, that framework there so again I was like oh well actually that's what I do what I do and that's why I have all the various different offerings that I do because I think it, you know we have to look at things especially leadership through different lenses what is the the organization lens through the culture lens and not just nationality culture but I suppose toxic masculinity you know you were talking about where people were just looking at the guy in the room and not the women you're like come on it's been 20 20 
what are we 2021 <laughs> sorry i think I so yeah i think i've written over a year yeah <laughs> so well, thank you william me. thank mm. you for your story i love your story and my struggle was did i just want to be a comedian and yeah. for me it wasn't enough for, for many people it is enough and, and comedy has to be in our lives and professional comedians must be cherished and nurtured we all know how much we love to see them. But I, for me, I wanted to do something not just on the stage with an audience, but down and dirty on a Friday with, um, or no, Monday morning. And, and, and somebody said to me that she is also from the world of theatre, but doing coaching and workshops, is those two hours that we're in the theatre is, is fine. But what about the 40 hours when we're at work? And I want to be in that space as well. So I love using my brain. I use the vehicle of comedy. So all my workshops are fun. We do improv. Uh, yet we're, we're trying to get to something else, which is why are we? Where are we? And all that stuff you said about what's toxic, what's helpful, what's useful. Because as soon as you get people gathering together, you've got a story of possible conflict, but also possible collaboration. And improv at its best is I feel both an individual and a team member. And that surely is what organizations should be about, to shine as an individual and to feel loved as a, as a team member. And I've seen it in many places and it's possible, totally possible. Uh, and it's not fair sometimes to ask people to lead when they haven't had much practice at it or even yeah. much, um, many, many good examples of it. Hey, you're leading this team. Well, how do I do that? Well, just do it. <laughs> and it hasn't been thought about much. And it's interesting that Ashish did a survey of leaders uh, before the pandemic and after. And of course, during the pandemic, much of their job was just connecting, just engaging. Um, and they kind of summarized it is don't check up, check in. My job was the same, just what's going on? What are you up to? Does it feel too much? Tell me how it is for you how's your perspective on the world rather than get on and do this job um and of course my sense is we shouldn't have had to wait for a pandemic for that to be the place but on the other hand it's it's not so easy to be that sort of leader where you've got to where you are because you're really good at the thing you could be good at those circuit boards mm. and stuff and then you get to be the leader of people who are doing circuit boards so what do you do just show them how to do it and then get on with it or do you have to step back and let them do it and make their mistakes and you've got to support them and guide them and just sometimes just see how they are. I have uh, my experience in terms of emotional intelligence and there's a lovely graph we can show it right now is where the CEOs that are successful are the ones who their IQ is high but they continually grow on the graph in terms of emotional intelligence and our IQ really uh, is is fully developed by the time we're 25. Rose minimally, but that's about it. Whereas it, and this is where you have in, in cultures at the Far East, is it go, keeps growing and growing and growing in pay, places like Japan, where the elderly are really held in high esteem. Whereas in Western culture, you know, it's not the case. And and really, what they're doing, they're showing is that wisdom is actually emotional intelligence. Is like, what do you do in this context? Uh, what's the right thing? The right to do? What's the it's decision making? Is what leadership is making doing the right thing at the right time. 
or making the right decision at the right time. And for me as an engineer, I saw things in formulas, black and white. If it an input, process, output. It's not that hard, Les, just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me then, it was about learning the, the nuances then that I kind of dismissed quite readily. And now I'm constantly just looking for nuances. And that's that was my struggle was was how do I manage my own stress and how do I build resilience or how do I know to establish boundaries where this is actually a toxic environment that I'm in or, you know, do I learn about time management or conflict or have, you know, more articulate conversations in terms of feedback and performance conversations say, what does that look like? Or how do we empower people through coaching conversations? So again, we have lots of overlaps in what we, we do and then when we talk about the, the skillful stuff, right, this is where I'm interested in your alter ego. Now, I'm not going to tell you what my alter ego was. Any of my college friends would be listening in here. And I put on an alter ego in college. It was a confidence thing. And I used to establish this alter ego to be more confident. All right. So in relation to that, then you have an alter ego. Which is which is really not a better version of you. It's the L, L. Vaughan Spencer. Am I saying that right? L. Vaughan Spencer, yes. So 20 years ago, having seen a lot of keynote speakers and read self-help books, I made a vehicle for satirizing that. Mm. And it was a friend of mine because I'd done a show called All That Malarkey. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, people think my name is made up. And I say, no, look, it's an Irish name. We don't actually know exactly what the derivation is for that phrase. That's a lot of malarkey, a lot of nonsense. Um, so I did a show and I did, I found there was a guy, a, mot a spoof motivational guru in the United States who made up a character called Joe Malarkey <laughs> as a joke. And his was choose to lose and things like that. Um, so a friend of mine noticed that in my show, All That Malarkey, the best bits were when I was talking to the audience, of course, because that's what I love. So what's your name? And has it uh, impacted the way people see you? Because mm. Malarkey people think it's made up because I'm a comedian. No, it's my real name and it's difficult to spell. And people don't believe it's my name. I had to show people my credit cards. It's my real name. So it's a good job you became a comedian. Yeah, but my brother's an accountant. My brother's a chemical engineer. Loads of malarkeys are not comedians. Um, and then, so my next show, my, my friend said, do more where you interact with the audience. So I thought, yeah, okay, it'll be like a self-help workshop. So I'll pretend this character is helping people with their lives. And what we discover is that his life is in a mess. So I, I've, I put on a, a ponytail, I have a goatee and an orange suit to make him different. He's got a different name from me and he swaggers in a way different from me. I had a director two directors, uh, women, who were always reminding me not to be Neil. <laughs> Got to yeah. stand and talk differently from him. And that was great. And another friend said that Jung, Carl Jung said that the, the shadow, the dark side is the creative side. So I literally what are the things in me that I don't like or fear about or don't dare show? And I'll put them into him. Yeah. And it was great to have that. That was very empowering to, to notice that. So he's um, he's a bit pathetic, he, but he's full of himself. Um, but it pretends he believes himself hundred percent. 
um, doesn't know how to deal with women, thinks if he swaggers in, that's the way to do it. So all the things that I would say, well, I didn't dare do that. But if I can do it in a satirical context, it's quite relieving. And of course, people like it because um, they can see me behind it, but they can see me satirizing this character. And they've often seen people a bit like him. So he's not based on a, an individual, but just several people and the whole notion of I'm con- I can tell you how to run your life. So anyway, uh, do the show called Don't Be Needy, Be Succeedy. And it was one of those things where I was a bit short of material. So I just wrote some raps. So I did some rhyming. And again, once you find the rhyme, then you find the line, if you like. Yeah. So I always you off finish with the answer rather than the question. So I've done these motivations. So he kind of does this. He thinks he's great and cool. Again, I can give him physical difference, but I can say things in poems that you can say in prose. <laughs> yeah. Um, for example. So I'm doing a new one about uh, he I put the emote into remote. Uh, I put the glamour into yammer. I put the twit into Twitter. I put the sap into WhatsApp. I put the stag into Instagram. I put the oh so into micro soap teams. And um, I've been trying to think of one for hybrid. And he says, I'm the real Madrid of hybrid, something like that. So kind of what you have this character who thinks he's brilliant. He's kind of a, uh, you know, um, Alan Partridge or the pub landlord character. Um, but beneath it is absurdity. So anyway, I wrote a book as well called The A to Z of Motive Vitality. And just as a present to myself, I'm doing him at the Comedy Store on October the 4th to see if I can remember the lines and a new bit about uh, improv, uh, sorry, a bit about remote working. And I'll improvise a lot with the audience saying, what's happened the last year and a half? How has it been? What's your favorite platform? Have you actually worn socks at all? Um, So it's quite a nice release. It's a small part of what I do. Um, but it's kind of a nice release to do that and do after dinners as him. And they tell me a bit about the CEO and they can, I can tease them about their car park or their expenses system. That sounds like a really interesting gig. I wouldn't mind going to that myself. Uh, you are speaking about your, your name, Malarkey. Um, imagine working in electronics where there's sometimes a, a Galway accent, uh, meets, uh, an accent from Taiwan, and uh, they're saying, your name is Cordless? No, I says, no, Cordless. <laughs> uh, electronics, they found that very funny, that joke uh, there. I've heard that more than once, if I'm, if I'm honest, um, there. So we're coming to the end of our podcast, Neil. And it's been wonderful here. I, I have to say, it. this is genuinely brilliant um, for me, and I'm sure the listeners will find that as well. And if people were to contact you, so I know you have lots of different offerings. You mentioned presentation skills, teamworks, team team uh, workshops. Uh, you talked about leadership development, uh, executive coaching. Have I captured everything there? Just about keynote speaking as well. Sometimes uh, do an hour with an audience. I can't help but try and involve them somehow. But yeah, that's something I do as well. Uh, the best way is through my website neilmalarkey.com i don't know if you'll put that out on the podcast uh i also improv your biz is another website i have improv your the whole pronoun your biz b-i-z i'm on linkedin as well um so just google neil malarkey if you spell malarkey even slightly wrong you'll still find me uh luckily i have somebody knows about search engine optimization so um william cordless i hope people find you if they put the d in (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'd love to hear from people because um 
as I said, I'm always learning. So just even got a book recommendation to, to let me know, that'd be fab. Um, I am always kind of looking for new things to do. So I thought I just taught improv when I started. And it turns out I teach leadership. All oh, right, that's interesting. I could even teach negotiate. Wow, that's interesting. A collaboration. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I did a session on feedback once because... Um, I just thought, is that people ask me? I'm sure you can. And then just things like, all oh, right, how do my thoughts bear on this? How does improv, what is it? And even sometimes, can I do a little scenario where it's done badly? Use my comedy world, how not to do this. And that's quite informative sometimes. Um, that's that's my approach. Rather than saying I'm an expert, which I'm I'm not, I'm an expert on theatre and improv, but I can apply that. But sometimes it's just tell me what's bad and I'll, dramatize it and people go oh yes and that makes us think how to do it better i must say you were so well read and informative people have no choice but to uh, view you as an expert i really enjoyed today i do hope that some people may actually uh, get the beer map post to them in the post i think you should put that up in linkedin uh when we uh when we launch this podcast and that'll be uh, out next week. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It has been a pleasure for me. And uh, I'm going to delve deeper into you and find out more. And one day I should uh, interview you. I would love that, Neil. (laughs) But thank you. And I hope to meet you in real life. I've met a few people in uh, real life face-to-face the last couple of months and I forgot that I didn't know them in real life because we've had a good time on Zoom so when I meet you in real life I mean are you taller than than you think or shorter because one guy I met was so much taller and that guy was so much shorter and I had no idea because you don't I I have to say uh I'm I'm taller than I am right now because <laughs> uh, I'm sitting down and I think I'm much better in real life I don't think I'm very photogenic <laughs> oh, I disagree. I disagree. I think you're beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Especially when you smile. It's a shame the radio listeners, as it were, podcast listeners can't see your smile. You have the most wonderful smile. Well, thank you so much for that. I always thought I had a face for a radio. <laughs> <laughs> you have a voice for radio and a face for life. Thank you so much for that, Neil. Okay. And I look forward to meeting you in London sometime. Yes, and just to remind people, October 4th at the Comedy Store in London. I know it may not be easy to get there, but actually hotels are surprisingly cheap in London, as you can imagine. There are not many tourists there. So uh, it's a Monday night, it's a school night, but hey, you can pretend it's research. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, Contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.